0: It is my privilege to invite you to today's sermon podcast. I have made the Apostle Paul's prayer request my own. When he states in Ephesians six nineteen, Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, the words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. May today's sermon come alive to you and aid you in your understanding of God's plan for your life.
1: Yeah, it is a great pl- privilege to introduce my friend Sean to you this morning. I will say... Uh, 17 and a half years ago, Eula, I was hoping she'd be here. She's probably watching online today. And, uh, she asked me if I, well, let's rephrase that. All of you that know Eula, Eula didn't ask me if I wanted to go to the Ukraine. She said, Les, we are going to help you go to the Ukraine. <laughs> and because I had made a promise to God that, uh, I'd do what he asked me to do. <laughs> Be careful when you promise things to God. <laughs> uh, I told Yula, I don't know how that's going to work. Uh, Amy's pregnant, number five, and and we had Kimmy just two days after I got back. <laughs> I told Amy, I says, I, I think I'm going to the Ukraine. And I don't, I don't know how this is going to happen, but anyways, uh, we had at Kimmy just shortly after I got back, but on that trip to the Ukraine, I didn't even know where Ukraine really was, I had to get, dig out a map and look, and uh, I met Sean Johnson there, and I'd met him here a year earlier, and he come and spoke here, but met him on that trip, and uh, just, uh, you know, I, I don't know how it happens, you you meet people for 17, 18 days, and, and fall in love with them, and and the work you were doing there. And uh, I, I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I know Sean wants to, to speak to us about what God's doing in his life and the life of, the, of uh, his ministry. But uh, I just felt like uh, I made a great friend there. And it is a, a privilege to introduce him today. And uh, may he come and share what God has laid on his heart. Uh, Sean Johnson. Thank you.
0: Morning. Good morning. Once again, uh, Sean Johnson with House of Jane's Ministries. Uh, for those who don't know who we are, we are a child refuge in Ukraine. And uh, we seek to rescue the abandoned abused children of Ukraine and then restore them uh, through the love of Christ through one of our Christ-based family homes. And uh, we rescue kids as young as 11 months old, all the way up to 15 years old. And they're pretty much with us for long haul. They're with us until they get married, Uh, finish college, start their own families. Uh, We have some that are 25, 26. They're still around the house. Uh, Some of you can probably relate with that. But um, but, but God's been great. But to really get an understanding of who we are, I always like to share my personal testimony and how the work got started. Uh, Born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona, um, into a wonderful Christian family. My father uh, was a senior pastor of a small church in Phoenix, Arizona, and during that time, uh, my brother Todd became the worship pastor uh, slash associate pastor. Then my other brother Chad became the youth pastor. And then my sister Carrie ran Sunday school. And then my mom ran the nursery. And I was the youngest of four, and I was involved in absolutely nothing. That was my role. And uh, I kind of s- went a different path in life. At um, a really young age, I was kind of messing around uh, with drugs and alcohol. Thirteen, fourteen, 13, 14, I was smoking. On a regular basis, uh, 15 years old, I got kicked out of multiple schools, uh, started drinking at the age 15, 16, and I, and I started getting into this habit of drinking pretty much every day. Believe it or not, by the age of 17, 18, I was really considered an alcoholic. I uh, had alcohol poisoning multiple times in the hospital, found myself in really bad situations. I've been shot at it a few times, survived those i uh, been to jail for alcohol-related things. And uh, you think going through all those things in life, I would go, okay, wake up, Sean, get your life right. Obviously, this is not the lifestyle you want to live. For some reason, I didn't. I kept on going down that destructive path. Age 21, I started getting into cocaine on top of my everyday drinking. And that lasted for a couple of years. And then by the age of 23, um, sounds cliche, but hit rock bottom. That's the best way I can really uh, describe that. And depression hits, right? If you've used alcohol and drugs for so long, it takes over you, and depression just overwhelms you. And I kind of was at a point in my life I didn't know what to do. And so I reached out to my father um, to seek advice. Not because he was a pastor, uh, because my father also struggled with drugs and alcohol in his early 20s. And then he, he beat that, and has uh, been sober for well over 40 years. But uh, So I came to him, not because of the pastor, but because of that, because of his experience. I said, Dad, what, what, what do you think? What helped you? And, of course, he goes into God, church, you know, all this stuff. I'm like, no, 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 that's, I don't want that. Growing up in a church, um, I saw a lot of things, and I, maybe I thought I was hypocritical. But, you know, as a young kid, I didn't understand all these things, right? So I had just kind of a bad taste in my mouth with it. So I kind of held, held a grudge on God for some reason. And uh, so my dad's like, well, that's the answer I have for you, is God. And he thought for a minute, he said, you know what, I have a better idea. And I'm just thinking back when I was a kid before all this, um, my dad and I had a wonderful relationship. We would go deep sea fishing in California. I was a baseball player when I was a kid, and we were big on baseball cards. My dad had a baseball card shop when I was a kid, too. So we traveled a lot, met players, and so had a great relationship with him. And past these, whatever, 10 years, you know, that hasn't been the case just because of my alcohol and drug abuse. He said, I have an idea. Why don't we spend some time together? I said, oh, that, that's a great idea. Let's go on a vacation like we used to. I'm like, great. It's like, where do you want to go? He's like, Russia, Ukraine. I'm like, no, that doesn't sound like much of a vacation to me. I'm like, uh, okay. I'm number one, like, like less. I didn't know what Ukraine was, right? I had to get out of the map. I was like, but you know, what I thought about it. I said, you know what? What a good idea. Get away from my friends, get away from the peer pressure, get away from my drug dealers, just get my mind right, get sober. So, sure enough, this was in April of 2003. Uh, we take our first trip to Russia and Ukraine. The reason we're going there, uh, for the last uh, early 90s, 2000, my father, or late 90s, early 2000, my father was speaking at uh, Bible colleges there. It was actually, they were uh, a big ministry reaching out for the Jewish people to, to receive Christ. And so I said, yeah, let's do it. So if it was going to be one week in Russia and then one week in Ukraine. So we get into uh, Russia, we're there for the first couple days, getting over jet lag, getting to the time difference and all that. And third or fourth day in, I decided to join in one of the classes uh, with my dad, when he was speaking and he's talking, you know, doing, teaching the Bible and to the students and stuff. And afterwards, the director of that Bible college came up to my father. And I said, hey, why don't you guys come on over for dinner, uh, fellowship with my family, get to know each other. So right, that sounds great. And uh, I tried to paint a picture of what this place looked like. So we get to this building, very old, six-story building, very gray, pre-World War II. There's sort of those cracks and bowl holes from World War II. Uh, it's very Sylvia looking, right? So you get into this place. So you lived on the third floor, and uh, when you walk in, it was like a two room apartment, not two bedrooms. It's just literally just two rooms. And uh, you walk around, hardly any furniture. Very cold and damp in there. You can tell they're very poor. And then I'm like, "Where's your restroom?" And I'm like, "Oh, that's on the fifth floor. They, that's shared by the entire complex." I was like, "I'll just wait till I get back to the hotel." But um, but really, it was really cool. It's time for dinner. And it was, it was a husband and wife. And then five minutes later, there are five kids coming. We're talking ages six months old, all the way to 15 years old, living in this tiny little place. Very scrawny, pale white. You can totally tell they're lacking nutrition. And obviously these people are just poor, right? So we sit down for dinner. And what they put in front of us was a handful of white rice and a pickle. That was our dinner. And I'm thinking, well, no wonder these kids right, are scrawny, pale white. But it kind of hit me like... Wow, man, these people have absolutely nothing, but they're willing to share what they had with us. It's really neat. So we're eating and, well, meeting, I'm, I'm noticing kids laughing, smiling. The parents have this glow on their face, just like this joy coming out of them, right? So to me, I'm going, what in the world is wrong with these people? Because here in my life, I had a good job. I was working at Phoenix Children's Hospital. Things were going well as far as like, you know, have the materialistic life, right? But deep inside, I'm just depressed and miserable. And I'm going, and I remember nudging my dad exactly what I said. I said, what is wrong with these people? My dad's like, what are you talking about? I was like, how in the world can these people be so happy? Like, what is it? And he just looks at me and he goes, son, it's something your mother and I have been trying to tell you for years. It's the love of Jesus Christ in these people's lives. And I look back at them, look at the kids, look at the the parents, and I just see God living in these people's lives. I just, for the first time, seeing God It's kind of embarrassing because I started crying right there at the dinner table. They don't speak English. They have no idea what's going on. So they start pushing rice and pickles my way. Like, (laughs) that's going to solve the problem. Uh, Fortunately, we had a translator nearby. I called them over. And I just explained to what I explained to you guys with my struggles in life. And and I just blurted out. And I said, you know what? I want what you guys have. You know, in the world's eyes, they have absolutely nothing. But the love of Jesus Christ is all you need. And I saw that for the first time. And right then and there... I decided to give my life to Christ. The kids that were there put their hands over me. My, my father led me to the Lord uh, genuinely for the first time in my life. And then, yes, afterwards, I'm crying. Now my dad's crying, which really isn't that of a shock. He cries over, like, MasterCard special or commercials, you know, and just emotional guy. But uh, afterwards, we get back to the hotel, and I felt something completely different, something I've not experienced in a very long time. And what I noticed was the that instant when I accepted Christ, all my addictions to so the drugs, alcohol, cigarette addiction was completely lifted at that one second. Gone. And what an experience that was. Because before that, I knew I had issues. I knew I had problems. and I, I tried drug rehabs. I tried alcohol rehab problems. They didn't work for me. I'm not saying they don't work. I'm sure they do for many people. It just didn't, didn't click with me. And so can you imagine a 10 years of just this drug addiction, this misery, and this depression is just lifted in one second. So I was on fire for God, believe it or not, right? So I remember my dad brought this little Bible with him, said, God told me to bring you, and I knew I was supposed to bring this Bible with me, and I want you to take this, and it was amazing. So the next few days in the Bible college, I'm listening in, finally listening to my father right for the first time in many years. And so just growing spiritually, it was awesome, reading his Bible, We finished our time there in Russia. Now it's time to take a train to Odessa, Ukraine. Odessa is in the southern part of Ukraine off the Black Sea. That took us about 40 hours of train rides to get there. Finally get there, same thing, Bible college. My dad's speaking in there. This time I'm in there every day just listening. It was amazing. Uh, And sometimes we go out for dinner during uh, the evening time. And I've noticed, while we're eating, a bunch of kids running around, street kids. Basically, there's hardly any clothes on, poor. They're asking for money, for food or whatever. I'm getting close. I'm like they're like eight or nine years old. This is this is insane. This is really small, right? Small kids. And I remember asking my host, "What is the deal here?" He so, oh, there's are street kids. And he goes back to his meal like it's nothing. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa! You mean street kids? During that time, you know, 2003, when I was living in Phoenix, that just didn't exist. Unfortunately, that's actually an issue now in Phoenix today. But I was like, "What's causing this issue? What's going on?" He said, "Well, you know, when the Soviet Union collapsed." Uh, financial crisis hit, you know, Ukraine hard. It was The money was worthless. There was no work. And when people fall into this depression, like I did in my life, what do they turn to? A lot of them turn to drugs and alcohol for relief. But then who suffers the most from all that abuse? The kids. And so these kids were being abused at home physically or just not being fed or not getting the attention they need. So they had to hit the streets and find money and survive. So that really took me back, right? I was just really, especially when I was working at Phoenix Children's Hospital at the time, I really loved kids. I always had a heart for kids. And that night, I just couldn't sleep. Thinking about those kids, thinking about those kids. The next morning, I woke up. Well, I didn't really sleep. I slept maybe an hour. But the next morning, I came up to my dad, and I was like, Dad, God is telling me I need to do something about these kids. he's like, what are you thinking? I just, out of nowhere, I said, build a home for them? My dad's like, wow, that's, that's a big challenge. I mean, you're a 23-year-old American. You don't know the language. You're an alcoholic, drug addict. I'm like those are good points, <laughs> but um, but my God brought me here for a reason. Right? He's like, absolutely, Sean. Go with that. Be in prayer. Read the Word. He's gonna He's gonna guide you through this. So that that remainder of the week, I'm at the Bible College, reading, blah blah blah, and catching up, and just amazing time of spiritual growth. But our time came to an end in Ukraine. It was time to go back to Phoenix, Arizona, and I remember. I felt like I was leaving something behind, right? Like God was calling me to do something. I, I just felt really something out of place. And so we're about halfway maybe through my 10-hour flight. Back then, uh, nowadays on airplanes, you have a TV screen on every seat, right? But back then you had like two or three TVs that everybody had to share. And it was just a one movie. And they would show it like three or four times on these 10-hour flights. And I can't sleep on planes. I'd probably watch it for the third time. It was a horrible movie, but whatever. And uh, I just remember at one point, God said, put down your headphones and pick up your Bible. And for, it's been, besides those last two weeks, right, I've been reading God's Word. But before that, it's been years and years and years where I've looked for answers in God's Word. So I didn't know where to look. So I did one of those things where you open the Bible and go, God, speak to me. You put your finger down. It works. It's pretty amazing. (laughs) I, woke to, I opened up to James 1 to Religion that God our Father finds pure and thoughtless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Well, obviously, take care of the orphans. Keep myself from being polluted by the world. To me, that was drugs and alcohol. I knew what my calling was. My dad was about three or four miles behind me on the plane. I remember going up. He's dead asleep like always. And I shake him. Hey, dad, wake up. He's like, what? what? I'm saying, I'm moving to Ukraine. He goes, what? Moving to Ukraine? He's like, all right. He goes right back to sleep. I don't, I don't know how the guy does it. So we get into Phoenix, Arizona. My, my father calls a big family meeting. You know, my mom, dad, uh, my two siblings, my sister. like, we got a meeting about Sean. They're probably going, oh, great. Okay. What does Sean do this time, right? So we get together, and uh, I just ex- explain exactly what I explained to you. What, what I experienced in Ukraine has got completely changed my life. And my, kid, my, my siblings were just silent. They, they saw something for the first time. They saw something w- was real. Then I broke the news saying, I'm planning to move back there in two months to Ukraine. And then my sister had this massive smile on her face. I know that she's happy that I'm saved. I got my life straight. But I think she's really happy is the fact that I'm moving like 10,000 miles away. <laughs> she's like, yes. So, but it was awesome. My, my family got behind me, supported me. I once spoke at a few churches there in local Phoenix, Arizona. And I was able to raise some fun. I had enough money to get a plane ticket. And sure enough, July of 2003 got on a plane by myself, flew back to Ukraine, and I was on a mission, right, to help these kids. Well, a month goes by. I lost all my money. I I had no more money. Um, I was in culture shock at the worst you can get. I didn't like the food at the time. I didn't like the people at the time. I didn't know the language at the time. So I was just like, wow, where am I going? I need to get out of here. So I remember calling my dad. and He said, dad, I'm having a hard time. I need to get home, I need to go back to Arizona, this, this isn't working out. He says, like, well, do you have money for a plane ticket? I'm like, no, that's why I'm calling you. <laughs> and he's like, you're out of luck, buddy, I'm not helping you out this way. And he was saying that because he goes, Sean, if you come back, you're going to fall back in that old lifestyle, you're going to run away from God's calling, this is a test, you just pray through it. And he goes, matter of fact, I'll swing by, we'll figure it out. I'm like, you swing by from Phoenix, Arizona, Ukraine, that's like, what are you talking swing by? He's funny. But sure enough, three days later, my dad showed up to Ukraine. He took an entire month off from his church. They blessed him, let him go. And he just spent that 30 days of just ministering to me. We traveled some parts of Europe and just a good time with my dad again and just got me cleared up and, and, and back on focus on God. And And he set up an appointment with a missionary back in Kiev, Ukraine, the capital, with Bob Skinner. I know a lot of you are familiar with Bob Skinner, especially he's in the, from this area. And I meet this guy, what is he, what, six four, six five? 280 pounds, big old guy. <laughs> he played for Boise State for many years, uh, football, and just kind of felt intimidated at first. But man, what a sweetheart. He's just a great guy. And I shared the exact same story to share with you. And he said, You know what? I have the perfect place for you. There's a little town called Venience. It's the center of Ukraine. It's about a three hour train drive from here. Sunday morning, we'll hit up a service and we'll go from there. I said, Great. So we get into this uh, church, Nazarene Church, is a church plant. Uh, the pastor, uh, was given a sermon afterwards. It said, Who wants to give their life? Come on down. It just got flooded with people. It was awesome. And people gave their life to Christ. And come to find out, I went to that church for 19 years after that. It was every single Sunday someone was giving their life to Christ. Well, this pastor did 12 years of prison. Uh, he was a criminal, obviously. Uh, his mother was murdered by his best friend while he was in prison. This guy lived a lot of crazy stuff. Got out of prison was saved during prison, got out, started a Nazarene church, started a drug rehab center. From that church, they started ten churches. church. From that drug center, they started ten drug rehab center. Amazing things going on. The pastor goes, what are you doing here? I said, well, God has called me to build a home for kids. And he starts laughing. I'm like, what's so funny? He's like, Sean, we've been praying that someone would come and build a home for kids. I go, well, I think that's me. <laughs> so right then and there, I joined the Nazarene church as a mission, uh, missionary from 2003 to 2009. That's what I did. Uh, before we started our own nonprofit. But uh, during that time, we, we started my first home, House of James 1, in 2006, which uh, Les was a part of, and I think Jeff, too. Uh, he's not, no longer at this church. He was a youth pastor at that time. Came and be a part of that and helped build it. And then a couple months after you guys left, we rescued our first two kids in. And it's just been an amazing journey. And I thought I was done. I did my first home. We rescued in 10 kids. I'm like, I'm done. Great. And then I was planning to move back to Phoenix, Arizona in 2008 to start a business with a friend. And right before I was like a couple weeks planning to move back, uh, people that were helping with House of James too, Sergei and Olga, Les knows who they are, uh, they were helping with the first home. They came up and said, God has put in our heart. We want to do a home too. I'm like, man, I'm halfway out of Ukraine. <laughs> what are you doing to me? They're like, pray about it, pray about it. Well, I did for about five minutes. And God said, no, you're staying. And so I decided to stay. And if I thought, you know, if I didn't have stayed, I never would have met my beautiful wife. and never had my two kids after that. So I think God really blessed me with that. We all know what happened in 2008, 2009, the crisis hit. So I think I pretty well lost everything coming back to Phoenix, and that, that would not have been a good situation. And then from there, we rescued in 10 kids in 2009 or 2008 in House James 2. And, again, I thought I was done. All right, God, I'm done. I said, the only way I'm doing it, I got married in 2009. So the only, I told my wife, the only way I'm doing another house, here I'm putting limits on God, right? If uh, somebody's rescued a kid on their own and they have a house in place, like it, if it needs work, fine, but those, that's it no way I'm doing it anymore. Well, after I said that, two weeks I get a phone call from a guy named Koya from Kazatin where we have a Nazarene church located in that area. He said, hey, I have my Nazarene friend says you do children's homes, and we're interested. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not my thing anymore. I'm not really looking to it. I have some limitations there. He goes, well, just hear me out. I said, okay. He's like, we just rescued a girl in five days ago, and we had a house donated to us that needs some work. I'm like, <laughs> really? I'm <laughs> like, Okay, I'm not going to even pray about this, right? I already set myself up on this one. So we knew what to do. And all of a sudden, 2010, we got the house built up, ready to go. We spoke at churches just like here. You guys are a huge part of all that with House James 2 and 3. Thank you guys for that. And that's where we're at right now. And uh, I have a video I want to show you. This is, we're celebrating 20 years of ministry. They're going to queue it up for you guys. It's going to look back the last 20 years, what we've gone through and we're at today. And afterwards, I'll just do a really quick uh, update of what's going on. But, yeah. Thank you.
1: они короче был ну, вот какой-то дом там да где бы все вы все могли жить только в теплом месте что вас там кормили короче что вы там могли спать нормально хотели бы там Да! Yeah, я
2: Ago, Russian forces began their attack.
0: Kiev might soon fall to Russian forces. The
2: Russians will take control of Kiev. Within 24 hours. The Russian force is so much larger than the Ukrainian one. It's not a question of if Russia takes the capital, it's a question of when. Says can the ukrainian people stand up this is day six on the 10th day day
0: 22 day 33 78
2: kiev is still standing strong For nearly two decades, an Arizona man has called Ukraine home, running a nonprofit providing shelter and purpose for kids living on the streets. First at four, Team 12's Josh Sanders spoke with Sean Johnson, who evacuated
1: to Poland just days before Russia invaded, and is still trying to get family members
0: and kids to safety. Our father, up on Spiritopolis, is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It's that Bible
1: passage that's given Phoenix native Sean Johnson purpose for nearly two decades, more than 6,300 miles from his hometown. He founded House of James Ministries after traveling to Ukraine on a missions trip in 2003.
0: An Arizona man trying to help children in war ravage Ukraine. This man opened up several homes for abused kids nearly two decades ago.
2: Many of those children, at least right now, can't make it out of Ukraine. Fox 10's Irene Snyder has this story. As war rages in Ukraine, Arizona-born Sean Johnson forced to
0: leave his home in Venista, a city in west-central Ukraine. He's keeping his family safe in Poland.
2: Johnson says he moved to Ukraine 19 years ago to open children's homes.
0: God was pulling my heart, and so I sold everything I owned, moved to Ukraine in uh, July of 2003. And I started building homes uh, for uh, children who were abused and abandoned. Some of those children have also evacuated from Ukraine. Others, especially the older boys,
2: have not been able to leave the homes located
0: outside the city.
2: Founder of House of James joins us now. Good morning to you, Sean. Um, We understand that you and your foster homes have been greatly Mm -hmm. impacted by this war. Tell us how.
0: Yeah, well, obviously with the war, it's been hard to get. Uh, groceries and things like that, and fuel's been a, an issue. <clears throat> Excuse me. My family and I evacuated uh, February 15th uh, before the war happened, and uh, our one of our homes was able to evacuate like a week after the war started. How did you manage to escape? Well, so I kept getting phone calls from the State Department and telling us there's an imminent invasion. We suggest that you leave. We really didn't think it was going to happen. So my family kept on having uh, writing me from the States, say, leave, leave. And so I figured we just take a two-week vacation to Poland. We had return tickets for March 3rd. And so we left just to be precautious. And then February 24th, the invasion happened.
2: Wow. And your wife's parents, your in-laws, they live in Mariupol and they're still there. How are they doing?
0: Yeah. So they've been in their cellar for 20-something days now, since March 2nd. We lost contact. We didn't have contact for 21 days until two days ago. We got a phone call from uh, her my mother-in-law. She was able to get up in the attic. And she had a very bad phone signal, but she was able to call. And she just let us know we're alive, but we can't leave. Literally, there's bombing and shelling right outside our window. And so they went back in their cellar, and we haven't heard from them in the last two days. Scary stuff. How much worse do you fear the orphan Uh situation in Ukraine will get once this war is eventually over? Yeah, I mean, millions of people have been displaced, obviously. And, you know, we want to be ready to help. All the children are going to need help. It's it's hard to predict what's going to happen. Frightening stuff. Sean Johnson, thank you for what you do. We appreciate your time this morning. Best of luck. hey guys appreciate the continued prayers um, for those who saw my live video as you pray that we can get through those muddy roads what we did we're finally uh, unloading our last load uh, of humanitarian aid food and hygiene products to the people living here on the front lines right now it's a little quiet uh it wasn't about 10 minutes ago but uh right now we're able to calmly pass out the aid i don't know if you heard that in the background but that was uh art- artillery being launched from our side um so we're okay for now thanks guys for continued prayers um these people are very grateful for the help and we'll have more updates to come so, this lady's house was hit by Russian rocket fire. Mm-hmm. Completely dark. She's here telling us something. There she is, showing us. You know, she, she's crying and just telling us what's going on. it's... Uh, it's hard to uh, grasp all this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, as you can see, the last twenty years have kind of been of a roller coaster of events. Um, I always like to address the issue that you saw, how my family survived that missile attack. I know it gets a little confusing because we, uh, we left before the war started. And then I, 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 within two months, I was back in Ukraine doing frontline aid run and stuff like that for people uh, that that couldn't leave, elderly people, even children, because they literally have nowhere else to go. And so I would spend a lot of time on the road. It would take me a week to get to those places because you can't fly into Ukraine. You have to take trains from Poland. And just, it's a long process my wife was very pregnant at the time. And so she was back in Poland. I'd leave her long periods of time. And it just became very rough. And we have a home in Vinica, which is located of our children's homes. It's the center of Ukraine. And it's been peaceful for the most part. There's been some attacks here and there. And so we felt that it was maybe safe to go back and stay because as I continued to serve there. And my wife really wanted to have the baby in Ukraine. So we planned to go back. It was July six that we were supposed to go back, but my friend showed up on July 5th to move us. And I said, you're a day early, man. What are you doing here? He's like, well, I don't know. Let's just do it. I said, okay, good. So we did. My my baby wasn't supposed to be born until end of July, so we thought we had plenty of time. Well, sure enough, the next day we got into Ukraine, my wife went into labor. And so if we would have waited that extra day, we would have the baby at passport control or something. Wouldn't have been a good situation. But uh, so we were there, and we thought, this is great. We had our baby there. And then a week later, we were outside of a building Uh, waiting for the birth certificate of our baby. And the reason we were outside of our building is because air alerts were going off possible uh, missile attack. We've gotten used to that so much, and nothing usually happens. And and that's just happening. You get used to it. And sure enough, uh, while we're waiting out there, three missiles hit within 30 yards of us. As you saw, 28 people were killed, three young children. Um, I was able to protect my wife and child. We got under this uh, bunker area while debris was falling. Unfortunately, we saw a lot of death and fire. And and, uh, we were very fortunate my car, was like right there. Usually, there's another crazy part. My wife, when we were pulling up to this place, said, park right there. I said, that's not a parking spot. She's like, just park there. i like, okay, so I parked there. And then we go to wait, and then I need some water. I'm, I, so I start heading towards that area exactly where those missiles hit. And my wife said, don't go there. Go across the street and get your water. And so I did. I got my water, and it came back five minutes later. Boom, Missile hit. Lesson learned. Listen to your wife every single time. <laughs> but uh, on a serious note... We were very fortunate. God guided us through that. It was unbelievable. My car was even, it was untouched. I was able to get in that car and go. All the other cars were on fire, unfortunately, with people inside it. It was just a bad situation. God protect us. We got out of there. My son Samuel was not with me. He was with the baby. She slept through the whole thing. My son Samuel was in a, a day school during summer. They had a camp. Got him. He heard the whole explosion. Scared him, obviously. So that was tough. Um, My wife took a couple weeks to get over that, and then we calmed down. And for the most part, it's been pretty safe, and that's why we stayed there and and started doing more of my aid runs and things like that. Um, But God's been good. God's been good. Just like to give you guys some updates. I know I'm running out of time here. Um, Some really cool things I I like to tell about Ludichka is one of the girls that we first rescued, Luda, in House James 1. She had alcohol uh, syndrome as a child. And uh, within a couple of years, and, and she witnessed, another thing before we got her, five years old, she witnessed her brother kill his own son, a baby, threw him against the wall from crying. She witnessed all that. She literally had to go to court and testify. And so when she came to us, she was shaking a lot, right? Just shaking and shaking. And then she had that alcohol syndrome and a lot of difficulties with growth and learning and stuff. Well, within a couple of years, all of that completely left after she lived in the house of James. They say you don't, you don't get healed from alcohol syndrome, but she doesn't have it no more. And today she is twenty years old, finishing up her fifth year in university. It's amazing what God has done. We have Lila, who was a girl that we rescued in. She became the kickboxing championship of all of Ukraine in her, in her title. Went on to Europe, got championship of Europe. We have Rita, her sister, who got medals and scholarships to go to university, finished her five-year degree, has married, has a kid. Our first girl, Vika, married, has her kid. All of our kids have gone through our program. Not a single one is an alcoholic. Not a single one's on drugs. None of them are in prison. All of them have lived a life of success, of somewhat, and are working. One of our sons right now is on the front lines. I ask you to pray for him, Denise. He's been injured quite a few times. He gets better and he gets back on the front lines. Denise, continue to pray for him, please. Uh, we have major needs for House of James. I'm going to throw them out real quick. This last winter was pretty difficult because Russia bombed most of our energy infrastructures. So we were at 25% power most of the time. So when it was like minus 25, it got cold. Uh, unfortunately, we had generators, and I would go wait six, seven hours in line to get gasoline. they give you five gallons at a time. It was brutal. But uh, then I was able to get a lot of fuel from Europe, but thanks to the support churches and, and monthly sponsors. So we had generators running for our homes and for me, and so we, we lived through that pretty decently. But there's a threat of that happening again this winter, so we're definitely going to store up thousands of dollars worth of generators and, and uh, fuel, ask you guys to pray about those needs. We have a lot of dental needs for the children, uh, a lot of medical needs for the children. That's a huge cost. We need vans that we're, we're running. Or one of our vans is on its last leg. That's going to be $20,000. So we have a lot of needs and the pri- our, with inflation I, I know is bad here in the States. Uh, in Ukraine, it's gone up 100% on some things like we went running the ministry for $120,000 a year. Not bad, right? Uh, three homes in my family in Ukraine to $250,000 since the war started. So big need is monthly sponsors consider that take care of your needs here in your church i get it but if that's something you feel called to please look into that house of uh, that's where you can sign up and get our newsletter that you can give online multiple ways to give Venmo, to paypal to credit cards whatever uh, pray about that uh, we are a nonprofit organization so you'll get a tax credit at the end of the year from us uh, but follow me on facebook it's a good place to follow me I like to update. I have I've been haven't been updating that much. It's been more of like where I'm going to be speaking at lately. But I'm going to Ukraine in two we- in ten days. I'll be going there uh, for a few weeks to uh, take care of ministry stuff. So I pray uh, for my perfection per- protection imperfection, and because uh, I'll be flying into Krakow, then I have to take a train. It takes a while. It's a long it's a long journey. And uh, pray for our protection and, and for God's guidance and everything. Yeah, I think that's pretty much what I have for now. Obviously, I'll be here. Uh, afterwards, to take any questions. But again, houseofjames.org. Check it out, and Facebook, Sean Johnson. Look me up uh, personally. I'll be my friend. Get my updates. Or House of James on Facebook too. We have two pages that you can follow. So, again, appreciate you guys having me here. You guys have been in support for many years since day one. And uh, I'll turn this back over to Les, Jason. Or okay. Thank you.
2: If you uh, do not feel encouraged this morning to to do whatever God has laid on your heart to do for for the glory of His kingdom, you you should be encouraged by that today. To to do whatever it is in your context in your community um, to to bring glory to to God's name. Um, let let's uh, let's do honor by the example that's been set before us by Sean today and. And seek to build the kingdom that it may come, and that God's will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have a time of fellowship after this today. We're going to do a a potluck down the hallway, uh, so we'll, we'd invite you to join us down there. Um, we are going to collect a love offering as we depart. Um, there will be an offering collector at each double door, uh, so you can drop your check in the in the plates as they um, as you walk out of the sanctuary uh, today. Um, as we do that, I'm going to ask Les to close our time in prayer, and he's also going to ask a blessing on the meal and the fellowship time that we will share together. Um, but again, if you have a, if you want to grab an envelope, uh, you can write your name and, and mark it to House of James Ministries. If you've got checks, uh, make your check payable to House of James Ministries as well, and we will make sure that Sean gets that before he goes today. Blessings on you today. Les, close us out. Some great
1: memories when you were showing those videos of uh, Sergey and different ones, Sasha. And, and uh, when we went to Argentina and, and we walk into our room for the first day and I, I hear from across that room all these guys, and I hear, Les! What?
0: Sergey?
1: <laughs> what, what are you doing in Argentina? Oh man, it was, it was just good to see him. I love him, pray for him. Daily, almost daily. I have a one thing I keep on my nightstand is I have a little egg uh, that was given to me by the cooks that that the Ukrainian ladies that cooked for us while we were there. A little gift from them, and uh, you know, Sean, I don't mean to burst your bubble, but uh, they they were my favorites. <laughs> but uh, reminds me daily. Uh, to pray for those in the Ukraine and, and pray for Sean and his, his family. And, uh, we, we love you and appreciate the work you do there. I, I know we're running out of time, but I, I've always thought I love that you bring them in, clothe them, feed the kids. That's great. But what's more important? They're introduced to Jesus Christ. And when we were there, we got a chance to. It was over Easter to do a an Easter service, and Sean tells me that well, a lot of these kids, this will be the first time that they ever hear about Jesus Christ and what He's done for them. And I, what? How? How can that be? And we did this simple little skit, and I thought, I, I mean, I've, I'm going to confess, I was a little. I don't know what effect this is really going to have on these kids, and. And after we'd done this little skit, Sean asked him if there was anybody that would like to accept Christ. And there were probably, I don't know, 80 kids. 100. I didn't see anybody that didn't have their hand up. Little kids crying. And I thought, wow, God is moving. God is still on the move. He, you know, we look at all the tragedy that's taken around the world. God is not surprised. God is still on the throne. Let me lift you in prayer my friend. Lord, we do love you. We serve a great God. We serve an amazing God. We serve a God that is it has the last say in all of our lives. And Lord, uh, you are on the throne. We are in good hands, God. And Lord, I, I lift my friend up to you today, Sean and and, and Natasha and Sergey and, and uh, Vitalik and Sasha and, and Lord, I, I lift his children to you, Samuel, Lord, be, be with this young man, God, and Sophie, Lord, be with, be with her, Lord. Protect him, God, and protect those that, that are doing your will and your work today, God, around the world. Lord, be with us as we share a meal together today, God. Uh, I just uh, thank you for how good you are, in Jesus' name, amen.
0: I want to thank you for joining today's sermon podcast. You can find a copy of today's sermon as well as other sermons and the sermon outline from today on our church's website, www.mvcnaz.org. It is my prayer also that you will seek out a church home that recognizes the authority of the Bible.